Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. This is one of those things that you never really want to do, but inevitably, things are going to happen where you need to. One of those is planning for a funeral. Nobody really wants to think about that, but there are so many advantages, especially after you pass. Your loved ones aren't faced with making decisions and all of that. In line with that is estate planning. What's going to happen to your assets, maybe your parents' assets, when you or they are no longer here? It's a territory that many of us know nothing about. Fortunately, this guy does. In the last couple of weeks, I have learned so much financially from this guy. It's like I, I'm so excited to start making money by just changing the way my financial situation is set up. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> like after our last conversation, I was on the phone with uh, my bookkeeper. Like, what are we doing here? We need to change this. Paul said so. He is the Moses of finance, and he's back with us to talk about estate planning today. Paul Jervy joins us on the program. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Going good, my brother. How about yourself? Real good, real good. And this whole estate planning thing, it's not fun, really. It's... It, 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 we know we have to do it, but we keep putting it off. Where's the starting point? And I guess it varies depending on who you are, your age, your situation, right? Um, to an extent, man. Um, I would I would say if you are, you know, uh, a young person with, and you're you're either starting to maybe even just save a little bit of money, and um, you know, maybe you bought your first home or. Maybe you've got your a child on the way or a child's here, you're newlywed, married. At that point, it it does kind of make sense to have a last will and testament. Um, it does make sense to have a financial power of attorney or a healthcare directive. Um, like one of one of the stories that I like to tell people is, is that <clears throat> I had a young couple that I I, I think they were in their mid-30s or something like that, and they had two kids. And we talked about estate planning quite often. It's a very integral part of financial planning. Wow. And they just kept saying, you know, oh, Paul, we're young. You know, we, we don't really need to, you know, worry about that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it once you help us make those millions. And so I, every year I always kept, uh, kept it right there on their checklist and kept talking about it. And one year they got into a car accident and, uh, they both ended up in intensive care. Luckily the kids weren't there. The kids were with one of their parents, but, um, uh, the wife ended up in a coma for uh, several months, and uh, he was out on long-term disability because he had to go through therapy and do all this uh, stuff. And so they ran into a very, very difficult time uh, just from a legal standpoint as to, um, you know, who who was able to uh, take care of the children, uh, who could take the children to certain events, or certain, take them to their doctors, who could... Uh, pay their bills, who could, you know, call credit card companies, electric companies, who could talk to their financial advisor if they needed money to come out, all those different things. So everything came at them at once because they hadn't taken this step to do estate planning. And what most people think that estate planning is, it's something that I do when I get old and it tells everybody where the money that I'm not going to use is supposed to go. Yep. When estate planning is so much more than that. It really is that piece, but it's also incapacitation planning. So it's a way for you to prepare so that in that family's case, you don't have to repair. 
and it just created a cascade of events for them. It almost reminds me of with your employer, when you have long-term disability insurance, you're planning for the fact that you may not be able to work. Yeah. So this is planning in case something were to happen and you're incapacitated permanently or for a period of time. And how do we handle that? And, yeah. and with that comes a lot of financial responsibility as well. I mean, to, you know, take a look at medical costs and legal costs and all of that. God forbid something were to happen. Yep, exactly. And the biggest thing for a lot of, uh, for, for that couple was, um, you know, who is going to be that person that I can designate to say, okay, I need you to take care of my kids. Um, and if you don't have this stuff set up, then now if, if just say a family member decides to come up and do something, um, how are they going to get money to take care of those kids, to feed them, especially if it's not in their budget? And, you know, it's in yours because they're your kids. Um, you know, how are they going to explain to to the schools if 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 they have to drop them off, pick them up because they don't just let anybody pick up your kids, you know, especially in today's environment. So you need these types of documentation to basically make sure that all of your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Now, it is highly crucial, I believe, to do it, especially when you're starting a young family. Um, but it's also crucial to do it when you are starting to build up this wealth. And if, you know, God forbid you end up having, let's say you have a life insurance policy that's worth a million bucks and you got two kids and your two kids are your beneficiaries. Do you really want a million dollars to go to two 16 year olds? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. You know, how about some of those terms? Let's let's look at irrevocable trust. That comes okay. in, in in under the category of state planning, right? Yeah, it sure does. You hear all these terms. What what does that one mean? So irrevocable means that you are setting up a trust, and really all a trust is is a legal document. It's a boatload of legal documents that outlines uh if something were to happen to you, what's supposed to take place. And so an irrevocable trust means that you, once you set it up, you cannot make any changes. So most people will end up getting a revocable trust because that gives them the ability to make changes, such as changing who the beneficiary is going to be, changing the amounts of money, who's going to, uh, who's going to get what, um, you know, maybe adding in there that I want this person to get this property. I want this person to get this business. And because the other beneficiaries aren't getting the business i we've got to be able to set it up so that they all know how they're going to get compensated all these different things that's what a, that's essentially what a trust does and it also allows you to control your money from the grave so when you have a trust set up if you've got a child that's just not good with money maybe they have an addiction or some kind of problem you may not want to leave them hundreds of thousands thousands or even millions of dollars because it's going to entice that habit so you can put parameters on this trust to basically say that I want this person to only get this much per month or this much per year. If you have an irrevocable trust, you can't make any changes. Once it's set up, it's locked and loaded, and it's almost like you need an act of God to be able to make changes to it. Are you a fan of it? Are there reasons where you should have an irrevocable trust? 100 percent uh so i have one um uh, and the primary reason why is because of the size of my net worth so if you're a person like let's um 
take an example in today's environment. This is getting a little bit advanced, um, but it's still good knowledge to know. So if you pass away today, um, you get what's called an $11 million and some change estate tax exemption. So when you pass um, and you have a high net worth, the IRS wants to be able to try and tax your estate. Hmm. So if you're married, then your husband or your spouse has one $11 million exemption, then you would have an $11 million exemption. So it's like $22 million. So the estate tax only comes into play in today's world if you have an estate valued over $22 million. But here's the kicker. In 2026, we have a reversal of the tax code. So meaning that the exemption amount is going to go back down to about $5 million and some change. So instead of married couples or single individuals having $5 million or a $10 million exemption, excuse me, a $11 million or a $22 million exemption, they're now only getting a $5 million or a combined $10 million exemption. So if you have a net worth over $10 million, anything over that $10 million is subject to a state tax at a 45% rate. So the reason why you would have an irrevocable trust set up is so that that irrevocable trust can own a life insurance policy for you that basically pays out to your beneficiaries so that they have the money to pay the estate tax and then they keep the other assets that you've left them. In a way, it almost sounds like a lock-in, like you are locking it in at that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It takes it takes a lot of careful planning um to do this and a lot of people don't even realize that they're going to be in that estate tax bracket. They think, well, you know, I've just got my house, I've got maybe a business, I've got some real estate properties, you know, we're we're under, you know, 10 million dollars. We're not going to be subject to a state tax, but they may have this huge life insurance policy that might be valued at $5 million. Well, what happens is estate taxes are calculated based on your gross estate. So your life insurance benefit is a part of your gross estate. So if you have that huge life insurance policy in your name, uh, uh, along with all of your other assets, somebody may be exposed to this estate tax portion. Wow. So back to what you said a moment ago, Paul, there's a lot of planning that goes into this because once, once it's a lock, there's no going back. Yeah. For that trust, you can definitely get another policy and have the, so you can always get more policies, insurance policies to have your irrevocable trust owned. So if let's say like right now I have uh, uh 3 million bucks in my irrevocable trust, uh, term life insurance policy right now. Um, eventually it'll get changed over. But if if in the next 10 years, my net worth decides that it's gonna double, I may need a, a more life insurance in there. So I can go to the insurance company, get another policy, and then uh, have that trust own that policy. Wow. All right, so other things that we need to be mindful of when it comes to estate planning. What what else is important? So you, uh, what's important is, uh, number one, thinking about who is going to get your money and how much they're going to get. 
And is that money going to be a blessing or a curse? Mm. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is if you're concerned about probate. Probate is essentially where you leave money in a will and, or an asset in a will. And you have to have that will get recorded with the, um, with the register of wills in your state. They then start the probate process, which is a nine month process where they go back in your life to see if there's any money that you owe people and people that know that you owe them money. They can attack, attack the estate to get their money. If you want to have your money bypass that process, then you want to do a trust plan. You want to have a trust, not a will. So that's something else to think about. If you want your heirs to get the money, uh, like almost as soon as you pass away, you need a trust. The other thing is um, who is going to be um, the financially responsible person to take care of my money if I'm not mentally capable of doing it? Who do I trust that much? And if I don't trust anybody, then I need to ask my financial advisor, what's a good trust company to use oh. to do this for me? Wow. I didn't know that that was even available. It is. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what's the difference? All right. The thing just flicked in my head. Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference between an executor of a will and a trust company? Are they somewhat similar or very different? So the executor of a will basically gets the document and their job is to open up the estate at uh, at the state level, make sure that whoever um, uh, comes at, at, to the estate that says they owe money, that they get paid. And then once the probate process is over, whatever's left in the estate, according to the will, whether it's selling a house, uh, liquidating a, a checking account or a savings account, that that money goes to who it's supposed to go to. A trustee... Uh, which is um, you kind of look at it as an executor of a trust um, that can be an individual or it can be a company. Mm. If it's a company, the company is going to charge your trust a, a percentage of the assets that's in it to manage that trust. And they're going to fulfill whatever you have put inside of that trust. So their job is to make sure everything that's written in that trust actually happens. And a lot of people only use them if they have nobody that they can trust themselves to adhere to what's actually in uh, the trust and to make sure all those things happen. So I know a situation where a woman elderly um, had a will and everybody got equal dispersion in the will. Mm -hmm. There were two members of the family, her nephews, that uh, didn't do the right thing and swooped in when she was sick and eventually had a stroke and persuaded her to change her will so that they got the lion's share. Mm -hmm. Millions of dollars in this situation. And this is yeah. close people I know. Uh, they, the two nephews, persuaded her to sign an irrevocable trust. And she probably didn't even know she was doing it. Mm -hmm. And that was the lock. And, yeah. you know, as I understand it, when other family members would come to visit her, they would always be in the room to make sure that and nobody was saying anything. But she wasn't a full mind at that point. She's probably yeah. maybe, you know, 60 percent of her normal, very sharp capacity. They got all the money <laughs> with the irrevocable trust. So they use that to, to their advantage. But I bring that up just to illustrate how critical this stuff is. And oh, yeah. you, you don't take any chances. This is life's work of assets and all of this here. 
And if you miss one little point, big, big change here. Big change, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to hire the right people. And just what you said before, I didn't know that a trust company was available. Um, And interestingly, too, with the probate, uh, that you have to wait. So the money's not going to be dispersed when somebody passes on. It's it's almost like a background check, a financial background check. Yeah, huh. it, it definitely gets held up. Crazy. Held up. Uh, how about some other things that uh, we should be uh, keeping on our radar when it comes to this? Yeah. So, um, so we, so the help uh, healthcare directive is uh, is a mm-hmm. big one. Um, making sure that you've appointed the right person again, if you're incapacitated, to talk to your doctors. And one one document that people don't necessarily think too much about is one that's called a living will. It's basically if you're hooked up to one of those life machines and they're basically telling you, hey, you know, we you might as well just pull the plug. They're not going to have good quality of life. Uh, that person can say, well, you know, uh, let me get three of different doctors opinions. And maybe one of those will have an idea that could bring this person back to life. Um, or that person can say, you know what, go ahead and pull the plug and let them let them move on. So you can actually outline what you want them to do in that case. And so uh, an estate plan is highly crucial for when you're younger, as well as when you get older, but you want to get it done while you're in sound mind. And it's probably something that you want to have a, a look at and maybe even update every five years or so. So, um, you know, one of the things in in my practice is that um, we've been able to partner with a firm so that we can get basic estate planning and stuff done for our clients at a fraction of what it costs to uh, work with an estate attorney. Now, uh, a state attorney is uh, sometimes definitely needed, I think, when um, when a plan is highly complex. Uh, and I would uh, advise the listeners to sit down with an advisor to see if their situation is complex. If it's not, then you can definitely save yourself thousands of dollars by getting uh, a basic plan set up through us, uh, along with your financial plan, and uh, you know, have have your entire state plan created, how you want it done, have all the assets moved into your trust uh, for definitely less than a thousand bucks. Wow, I you know what I'm 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 learning here today from you, Paul, is when we say estate planning, we think of immediately a house, assets, things like that. There's so much more that comes into play right down to the living will, right down to your your wishes and desires if you uh, become incapacitated, you know, in terms of medical proxy and all of that. I never realized that all of that came under the category of state planning. You got it, brother. You got it. It's a lot. And so and that's why it's hard for financial advisors to really market themselves because there's so much that we do and so much knowledge that we have that it's hard to put it on a commercial. It's hard to put it on a, a document that can say, hey, we can do all of these things you know, for you. And it's only, uh, it's really up to the people to decide if they want to sit down with an advisor to see what uh, an advisor could potentially do. And if there's uh, opportunity on the table for them to do something different than what they've done in the past. How does the process work? Let's, let's go hypothetical here. You have somebody who some assets not not a ton of money but you know they've worked all their lives they have this um they're concerned about their health maybe they're getting up there in age um Mm -hmm. those things and they want to make sure that maybe the money goes here and maybe not here um in terms of working with somebody like you 
Mm-hmm. How do you break it down to those different categories? Like, like say, uh, this is finance, this is health connected. Um, yep. And how, do you com- how are you compensated for that? Yeah. So uh, the process in our office is we schedule an introductory meeting generally over Zoom or, you know, uh, some people stop by the office only about 30 minutes. And then we outline for them uh, what the steps are. And the steps generally are going to be schedule a discovery meeting. Um, and that discovery meeting, we basically send you a questionnaire and you fill it out for us. And um, we then meet and we give you a rough draft of what the financial plan could potentially look like. Um, and we do like to give that to uh, individuals as well. Um, so we give that to them afterwards. And then from there, they would decide if they wanted to partner with us or not. And in those recommendations, it would basically say, we think that you should get a trust. Um, and so we think that you should uh, take that trust and move your property, your primary residence into that trust. Maybe it's get a holding company and move your real estate properties into the holding company, have the holding company own the trust. And so these are recommendations that we recommend that you do. Um, You can definitely implement them yourself or you can hire us to help you do the heavy lifting. So there may there may be a setup fee based on complexity, you know, a couple grand to get everything set up. If there is investments that we manage, we charge a percentage of the assets to manage it. But we are I'm a fiduciary as a certified financial planner. So that basically means I don't operate a commission based business. Everything is fee for service. So it allows me to sit on the same side of the table with the client to say, okay, you know, I don't care what products you use, insurance product companies, investment companies. If it makes sense for you, let's do it. So let's say you have your assets and pick one of these companies. I don't know, Morgan Stanley. Yep. It's all there. Uh, And the broker, I guess, is getting a commission from that. If somebody were to take that and move it to you from whatever company it is, would yep. it would it work the same way where you're getting a percentage of the investment or is a is is it more of a consultation fee that goes along with it? So there definitely is a consultation fee with the discovery meeting. We generally charge uh, $350 for just that basic hour. Sure. Uh, and and the reason behind it is, is because we like to give you that rough draft of what we think that you should do so we can show you our value. Uh, and so whether they choose to go with us or not, they get to keep that rough draft. Um, but then when it comes time to planning or transferring those assets, there may be, you know, a $95 account closing fee to close the account there and transfer it electronically it happens in a couple of days. And yes, we would charge a percentage of the assets. It's going to be based on the size um, of that account, which would determine, you know, how much we would charge. I know most companies like a, uh, like a Morgan Stanley or an Edward Jones or something like that, uh, you know, they'll basically do what's called tier strategy. So, uh, you know, 1.35 might be for up to 250. Then for the next 250, it might be 1.25. Uh, for the next 500,000, it might be 1.15 and 500 above that. And it's at 1%. And then it kind of comes down. So you're still kind of paying over that 1% when you kind of do the average of everything. Um, we try to do a, a, a flat fee, um, across the board. Um, with what we do. So it's generally going to be anywhere between uh, 1% or maybe even one and a half. And uh, the the client's plan and the complexity all drives that. Wow. Uh, final question. We're out of time, but I, I this popped in my head. Somebody asked me this uh, recently. Let's say you have investments, let's say, let's say an IRA or a mm-hmm. 1K, whatever it is, with one of those companies, Edward Jones, and you have a TOD, which is terms of death. What, yeah. what should happen? And you have your beneficiaries on there. 
Somebody told me that even though that's there, it doesn't necessarily mean that they would get the money. It could be another parent gets the money, an ex gets the money. Uh, it's not like an ironclad situation like a will. Real quick, 15 seconds, your thoughts. Uh, they definitely would get the money. If they are a transfer on death beneficiary on an account, um, that person is entitled to get the money. The only reason, if it's a minor child, that money would get held up in the court of chancery until they turn age 18, then they would get access to all the money. But no, they call the transfer on death the poor man's trust. <laughs> you rock. <laughs> you got the answers to everything. Uh, next time, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. 15 seconds. Give me that. Next one. On to the next one. On to the next one. <laughs> but that's because you're phenomenal at what you do. Paul, how do we find you? So you can visit me on uh, www.genesiswms.com. It's www.genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, W-M-S, William Mary Sam.com. Uh, you can also give the office a call, 302-543-7424, 302-543-7424. Trying to do any of this without a professional like you is like swimming in shark-infested waters. It Absolutely. is a bad idea. Uh, Paul, thank you so much. Always appreciate all your knowledge and info and looking forward next time we get together. Same here, my friend. Take care. You too. We'll be right, right. back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party? You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince's. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 